Well, if you have that handout sheet and you want to look at chapter 28, it's actually a very short chapter because it is an introduction to the next two chapters, a bit of a, a summary statement that happens chapter 28. And at this point, actually, in starting in chapter 27, um, you see a difference begin uh, to break between the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Confession. At chapter 27, it's about the communion of the saints. If you, if you open up the Westminster Confession, chapter 27 is like chapter 28 in the Second London Baptist. Up until 27, everything follows similar. But the, uh, the London Baptist Confession adds an extra chapter in there, and it kind of throws everything off. Even on this chapter, the Westminster Confession has five paragraphs. The Second London has two. Uh, simplifying, but also uh, taking out, and we'll talk about uh, a bit about it, um, what are the, uh, the things that the ordinances accomplish, and actually the Westminster calling them sacraments. Look at the, um, the verse there, a very well-known verse, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Read it with me from the, the screen together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The confession states this in paragraph 1. Again, we're in chapter 28. It says, Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver, to be continued in his church to the end of the world. You see that uh, statement there in paragraph 1. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances. The, the nature of these ordinances as they are ordinances, not sacraments. And the, the distinction there is a, a sacrament is something that is seen uh, by the Church of Rome as something that you do that accomplishes an efficacious grace, a grace that earns you merit. Now we do understand that uh, the nature of the ordinances, like taking the Lord's Supper, there is a means of grace. And what I mean by that is that our faith is strengthened when we remember the Lord's death. The, the means of grace by which we strengthen our faith is to continue to go back to the cross and to remember his body and his blood were shed for the remission of sins. And it causes us, or it should cause us, to be strengthened in our faith and assured of the salvation if God has worked that in us, that we look to Christ alone for salvation. But Again, that's not what we're speaking of in making that distinction here. A sacrament is seen as something that earns favor in the eyes of God. Even in the context of this morning, is there anything that we can do to earn God's favor? No. The Church of Rome would uh, have seven ordinances. Uh, the, the two listed here, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but also ordination, marriage, confirmation, Penance and extreme unction. 
Again, those are things that are all added and seen as ways to merit God's grace. But if grace is earned, it's not grace. We see that, and I, I believe it's a, a choice by the, the, the writers of the confession to use the word ordinance. Because the, uh, the Westminster Confession still uses um, sacraments, but in their paragraphs they, they delineate what they mean by sacraments. And instead of trying to tiptoe and to, to try to use a word but not have it mean what the people were used to, I believe the, the, the writers of the London Baptist said, let's not use that word at all. Let's move away from it in, a, in the term of ordinance. And again, there are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Again, we see baptism there in Matthew 28, 19 that we read just a moment ago. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is giving this command. He also gives the command, Paul records it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four for the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There is that command, not just a, a temporary command, but that's a, a present tense. That's a continuing action that they were to do. But as these ordinances are given, there's a command with them to observe these things. And the confession uses the phrase, a positive and sovereign institution. Now, we're not talking about the power of positive thinking here, uh, but we, we think of a positive command of, do this. A lot of the Ten Commandments are negative commands. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not make a graven image. A positive command is, honor your father and your mother. Notice the difference there? These are, are the commands to do these things, and that's what they mean by a positive, and also that the giving of it is ordained by the Lord Jesus himself, the only law giver. These are positive commands, but these are also commands that are to continue. Uh, verse 20 of Matthew 28 Excuse me. Uh, yeah, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That, that, uh, that great commission is in view of, I will be with you to the end of the age. And so keep doing this because I am with you. In 1 Corinthians, the, the greater context there, in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When? Or how long? Till he comes. That there's that anticipation by Christ in his command that we keep doing these things. They are perpetual, ongoing until he comes again. These things will cease at the end of the age. Why? Because we don't need to make disciples in heaven. And we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Christ not needing to remember anymore, we will have his presence. As we look at these things, we see that these are commands that we are to do. 
These are things that even as a church we regularly practice. But look at paragraph 2 in the confession. It says, These holy appointments are to be administered by those only who are qualified and thereunto called according to the commission of Christ. This paragraph, uh, when we read it, it seems pretty restrictive. But when you compare it to that of the Westminster, it's actually a little less restrictive. What I mean by that is the Westminster Confession says that only um, ordained ministers uh, can uh, administer these, uh, what they call sacraments, as in the Presbyterian Church, they have two kinds of elders. They have teaching elders and ruling elders. It would fall only to the teaching elders who can administer baptism and the Lord's Supper. On the other side of things, you have uh, the Congregationalists and even the first London Baptist Confession um, said that anybody can do it. And they understood some of the, uh, the pitfalls of that. And again, we see that these ordinances are done in, first of all, an appropriate context. Think about the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul is giving these instructions uh, to the church. And in verse 20, he says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's, he's bringing a correction, but he's, he's noting that the church is gathering together for the purpose of taking the Lord's Supper. When the church gathers, who has God put in place to oversee the church? Overseers, bishops, episcopos, uh, what Gary was speaking on uh, just a few weeks ago, elders. And so by the nature of the coming together, if we're doing something together, that is seen overseen by the administration of the elders. The phrase here in paragraph 2 is those who are qualified and thereunto called according to the commission of Christ. This is somewhat similar to um, who is able to teach in the local church. The statement is not only elders, it is those who, elders and those who are qualified and competent under the authority of the elders to teach. So it's not restrictive, but it's not just kind of free flowing that anyone does it. This is why sometimes uh, there would be, I've been asked the question in the past, hey, we're having X event, can we do the Lord's Supper there? And the answer is no, God has called the church to gather and do that together. We can remember the Lord's death in other ways. The Lord's Supper in the appropriate context is the local church. But also when it comes to uh, baptism, we see the command in Matthew 28. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. Who is Christ speaking to? The apostles. Now that command doesn't end with the apostles. The apostles, Ephesians says, are, are the, the foundation of the church in which the church is built upon, upon Christ and then the apostles. And because of that... The command to continue to go and make disciples is not given to an individual, but to the church as a corporate body. Now, do we all play a role in that? Yes. 
But what I what I, I want us to think through is if this was a command specifically to each of us, then every single one of us is to be going to the ends of the earth. Do we all personally go to the ends of the earth? No. We all play different roles because the fulfillment of the Great Commission, we take different responsibilities because that is the work of the church. The church as a universal whole. Therefore, this command to baptize is given underneath the auspices and authority of the church. That's why then the leadership of the church would then oversee this ordinance. Do you see how that thinking kind of flows from that? Some people will say, well, what about in Acts chapter 8? You have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip is sent by the Lord. He runs in, not runs into, but uh, is appointed on the Lord to, to meet this eunuch who's traveling along the way. He asks, hey, I can't understand this passage. Philip begins to preach Christ. He's, uh, the, the eunuch expresses faith. P, uh, Philip says, you must be baptized. And the eunuch says, well, why not right here? And some point to this and say, well, look at Philip. He's doing it over here. One of the questions we have to ask is, what was Philip's role? It looks as if, and appears that, one, his, his qualifications were that of an, an elder. He was teaching and he was preaching. But also remembering that the book of Acts is a book of transitions. And to ask ourselves, is that a descriptive or a prescriptive passage? We've been talking about that in recent days. Okay, it happened, just like the casting of lots in Acts chapter 1, does that mean that we follow suit? We have to take into other accounts. And again, the desire of the, 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 the writers of the Second London Baptist was not to be so strict that only elders could, but also not to go to the other side that anyone can do it. And we realize when there's a middle, sometimes it's challenging to say, what does that look like? What is baptism a picture of? Our union with Christ. How is that union fleshed out in the local church? And so that's why both baptism and the Lord's Supper come underneath the leadership of elders. And it's something we continue to to talk about and to pray through. What does this look like? How do we flesh this out? Again, we see these ordinances have an appropriate context and appropriate administers. Now someone who will say, well, what about those on a stranded island and there's no elder to, to baptize? Well, first of all, is baptism efficacious? Does it earn us anything? No, it doesn't. Is it necessary for salvation? No. Does it mean that somebody can't baptize another? Not saying that. Again, this is the, a normative pattern. That this is the regular pattern. Underneath the, the leadership and, and the laying on of hands to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit acknowledging the public profession of faith and the adherent um, the attachment to the local assembly in baptism and the lord's supper being taken in the context both of those of the local church 
Well, again, this is just a bit of a, of a summary that'll kind of be the foundation to jump into uh, on next week, looking at uh, baptism and then the Lord's Supper uh, in uh, chapter 29 and then chapter 30. And uh, believe it or not, I mean, this has 32 chapters, so uh, we're, we're getting close to the end. It's been a, a long journey, but a good journey uh, to kind of work through some of these paragraphs in the confession to point us to the scriptures to test these things. That just because the confession says it doesn't make it true. We need to test all things according to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the things that you have given to us, Lord, to practice, to do, to remember to remember your work, the work of Christ as we take the Lord's table, but also to remember the work of salvation as we hear the public testimonies, the public confessions of faith, the, the working out of, of the salvation that you have provided. Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would be able to hear many more professions of faith through baptism. Lord, to hear of the work that you are doing in people's lives, to draw them to yourself, to give them faith to proclaim the excellencies of you who called them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Do that great work here and all throughout the world as you are building your church. Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.